0: Bennett,
1: and I'm Joel Parker, and this is how on Earth the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, January thirtieth, twenty seventeen.
0: Coming up, an interview with Dr. Walter Longo, director of the USC Longevity Institute, and author of the Longevity Diet.
1: We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science.
0: Some animals live a really long time, and scientists hope to find clues as to how to extend human lifespan by studying them. The longest-lived rodent is the naked mole rat. These burrowing rodents with wrinkled pink skin and large protruding teeth live in big subterranean colonies in the grasslands of East Africa. They can live up to 30 years, which is 10 times longer than the lifespan of similarly-sized rodents. The mole rats also exhibit some amazing physiology. For instance, they almost never get cancer. They can survive almost 20 minutes without oxygen, and they're resistant to many types of pain. A new study published last week in the online journal eLife analyzed the life histories of thousands of naked mole rats. The scientists found that their risk of death did not go up as they grew older, as it does for every other known mammalian species. Scientists have long noted that naked mole rats show few signs of aging and far surpass the lifespan expected of a rodent this size. Mice in captivity live at most four years, Based on their size, naked mole rats would not be expected to live past six years. Instead, some live beyond 30 years, and even at that age, breeding females can stay fertile. Comparative biologist Rochelle Buffenstein has studied the rodent for decades. For thousands of animals, she recorded each one's age at death and other demographic data. She found that naked mole rats don't follow the so-called Gompertz Law, a mathematical equation that describes aging. This equation was developed in 1825 by British mathematician Benjamin Gompertz, who noted that the risk of dying rises exponentially with age. In humans, for example, it doubles about every eight years after the age of 30. But this relationship doesn't hold for the mole rats. After they reach sexual maturity at six months of age, Each mole rat's daily chance of dying was a little more than 1 in 10,000, and that stayed the same for the rest of their lives. Naked mole rats have very active DNA repair systems and high levels of proteins that help other proteins fold correctly. These systems may explain their long, healthy lives. But, like with most studies on aging, everyone agrees that more studies are needed.
1: Humankind is in the midst of a massive drive to harness solar energy to power our homes, gadgets, and industry. Plastic solar cells based on blends of conducting organic polymers are of interest for making lightweight and cheap solar cells. The problem with these kind of solar cells is that their solar power efficiencies are very closely related to the way the different types of materials mix and crystallize in thin films. This means complex and careful processing is usually needed to make efficient polymer solar cells. Now... Researchers at Osaka University and the Max Planck Institute for Polymer Research have designed polymers to make a new kind of solar cell that needs no extra special treatments while keeping a high efficiency. Organic solar cells work based on light energy exciting electrons in a polymer. The excited electrons can then transfer to the positive side of the solar cell. The space left by an electron is known as a hole, which must move through the polymer to the other side of the device to complete the circuit. Some polymers do not transport the holes very efficiently, so the researchers redesigned the structure by adding an extra component which improved its hole conductivity and, in turn, enhanced the solar power conversion performance. The design also allowed them to make these cells without having to pay such close attention to the crystal structure of the polymer films, which could allow for more cost-effective mass production of these devices by simple printing methods. These results were published in the journal Advanced Energy Materials. You say you're getting old, not old every day. You say you're getting old.
0: Yeah, you say old every day. Dr. Walter Longo has researched the fundamental mechanisms of aging in yeast, mice, and humans using genetics and biochemistry. He's also interested in studying molecular pathways found in all species, from simple organisms to humans, that can be controlled to treat or prevent diseases like cancer, Alzheimer's, and other diseases of aging. Last week, I spoke with him about his new book, The Longevity Diet. Welcome to the show, Dr. Walter Longo. You've just come out with a really fascinating book, The Longevity Diet. And so um, let's start off by talking a little bit about the background um, that led you in your gerontology re- research to come up with this longevity diet.
2: Yeah. so the background actually um, starts uh, many years ago in the early 90s, Um when I joined the the laboratory, Roy Walford. and Roy was one of the, I think he was the uh, world uh, leading figure at the time on aging and uh, nutrition, and uh, and he was um, he had uh, promoted something called calorie restriction, which is uh, feeding people essentially 30 percent less calorie than normal, um, and um, but uh, that wasn't going anywhere, and and so I started uh, working on the. the genetics of aging and in fact I just learned that one of your mentor was uh, Tom Johnson and he was one of the the leading figure at the time on the genetics of aging Uh, he was working in worms uh, but I started working in yeast in an even simpler organism and that uh, I used to uh, come up with some of the the key genes uh, that regulate longevity and then from there um, it was a a search for the easiest uh, possible intervention that could regulate these genes that then regulate aging and regulate uh, aging, age-related diseases.
0: And I think it's important to point out, because I find this in my students all the time, that it's hard to believe we have the same genetic pathways as simple organisms like yeast and worms. But, in fact, we do. We share this ancestry with them. So it's really valid to study human conditions like aging in worms and yeast.
2: Yes, uh, not only we uh, we share the genes, we also, um, and that was one of my very early findings that people f- uh, found to be uh, ridiculous. Uh, we share this uh, starvation response uh, uh, effects, right? So from bacteria, I have shown the bacteria when when I starved them, they lived longer and they were stronger, and and yeast, uh, same thing, uh, longer lived, and and I think. Uh, um, similar data was coming out of uh, other organisms like worms, and um, and people just thought it was, uh, it, it was an, you know, very interesting uh, uh, science. Uh, but then it turned out to be really the basis uh, for me uh, for many studies, including clinical tri- uh, trials on humans, which then turned out to be successful.
0: Yeah, so I want to come back to those clinical trials in humans in just a second, but let's talk a little bit about the Cell biology and biochemistry of caloric restriction because I think it's truly remarkable what what is going on in cells when you cut the calories that you feed them.
2: Yes, so I think that um, uh, we and or I uh, made the, some discoveries in in this past twenty five years, and one of them is the uh, w- what I call the protein uh, uh, pro aging pathway, which is the TOR s c kinase. So if you have a lot of proteins in the diet. These uh, um, uh, TOR-acist kinase genes are, uh, are uh, activated, are, are uh, expressed, and so activated. And, um, and, and the other one is the sugar pathway, which is the, in yeast, the Ras PKA. In mammals, seems to be more PKA-dependent. So these uh, genes are, are activated in response to um, having glucose in the diet uh, or in the blood. And uh, so together, um, and both of them are connected to something uh, originally discovered by Tom Johnson and Cynthia Kenyon, which is the uh, IGF-1, our uh, uh, insulin-like pathway. And and, uh, and so together, these three pathways uh, accelerate aging and also accelerate cellular damage uh, and diseases.
0: And do you find it a hard sell convincing people that they should eat less protein? It seems like everybody in this country wants to eat more protein.
2: Yes, uh, and, and I started a book talking about pillars of longevity and, and making the point that we can no longer have this one-pillar strategy. A lot of these ideas, uh, uh, this high-protein diet, come from uh, maybe half a pillar strategy. And um, and they, they look maybe at uh, weight loss uh, and maybe... Uh, the fact that you can lose some abdominal uh, uh, circumference, and uh, and they don't look at the long term effects, but more so they don't look at, is this going to make somebody live longer and uh, uh, healthier? Uh, and that's really uh, the the focus of the entire book, uh, and and I think you know this this is something that really took. Uh, um and it requires all the knowledge that we now have including epidemiological data including clinical trials basic research uh, and studies of centenarians you know these are part of the five pillars that i described and and without them uh, you can uh, you can come up with bad ideas like the high protein diet or the five meals a day strategy you know, both of these are, are one pillar strategy that they do a lot of damage.
0: Yeah, I really liked your five-pillar approach because it's, it's kind of like solving a crime. You know, you use evidence from a lot of different areas to support your case. And I really like the centenarian work, um, which shows that there's some commonalities. So could you talk about some of those um, shared characteristics that you found in centenarian, that is 100-year-old-plus populations around the world?
2: Yes, uh, so absolutely. I think you, you're, you're right on when you, when you say uh, the, uh, the strategy that we use in uh, in the courtroom is much better than the strategy that we use to come up with uh, nutrition. They can uh, have tremendous effects on, on your lifespan and, and whether you get cancer or not or whether you get diabetes or not. So it's remarkable that, that we don't do what we already do in the court. But, uh, um, yeah, the centenarians, I think it's a very, very important um, pillar why uh let's say that you come up somebody uh wrote to me uh, the other day and said well uh, Doctor long you're talking about this uh, uh, low protein diet and and uh, maybe vegan pescatarian diet but what about the inuit population and they uh they were long lived and this and that then i i looked it up and and there was a publication that i found very rapidly they say that the inuit lived 10 years shorter than the general uh, canadian population right and this population apparently has a high-meat-based uh, diet. So uh, the centenarians, whether they're the Okinawans or the people in Loma Linda, uh, not necessarily centenarians, but long, longer-lived than everybody else, or the people in Sardinia, Italy, or Calabria, Italy, uh, just certain areas, not all all of these regions, but they have in common a, a vegan uh, plus pescetarian. Of course, they eat some meat, they eat some cheese, uh, but a lot of the times, for example, the cheese is uh, from goat or sheep, uh, and um, and the meat, the red meat, is something that may you may have had uh, once a month in the old days, and maybe now they have it once a week. Uh, so um, so they they all have in common these uh, uh, these features, uh, which is you know low protein, vegan, pescatarian. They eat within 12 hours a day. Uh, they rarely you see a centenarian uh, eating, let's say starting to eat at 7am and ending at midnight. Uh, That's very uncommon. So uh, these are some of the rules that I think are are, are common to all centenarians and and, and they represent one of the most important pillars in my book.
0: And do you think that all centenarians across these various cultures share certain genes or that specific longevity genes would have come about um, in that is different genes relative to different cultures?
2: No, no, they definitely don't share any uh, genetic uh, uh, advantage, if that's what you're asking. Um, And now to make it, like in Sardinia, for example, and probably Calabria, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised, also Okinawa, um, islands or or small towns, uh, uh, genetic factors are probably very important in combination with the diet and with the lifestyle to get these people to, get, to reach such a record longevity. For example, Seulo, Sardinia um, has one of the highest uh, prevalences or, or certainly incidences of, of uh, uh, centenarians in the world. They, um, they have uh, five names, five last names in the entire town, right? So this is suggesting that probably uh, they are sharing some genetic, uh, some genetic advantage uh, that allows them to, to make it to such an old age.
0: Right. So another pillar um, that you use in terms of your evidence is the um, the mouse studies and the lab data. And uh, I think this is one of the earlier um, avenues that you followed. And there's some amazing mouse studies. Like one that really struck me was the MS mouse, the multiple sclerosis mouse model that seemed to be almost cured by a fasting regime. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, so, um, so based on, on, on all the molecular biology and genetics, uh, we developed a, a what we call periodic fasting-mimicking diet. And the idea is that uh, I always was struck by the fact that you can cut yourself almost anywhere, and the body is able to fix it, and a couple of weeks later, it's almost uh, it's fixed so well that you don't even see any evidence of it, right? So then I started thinking, is it possible that the, the inside of the body, you have the same uh, that you can fix almost anything, and, uh, and how do you activate this? And, and I think fasting and fasting-mimicking diets are just an easier way and a safer way to do fasting. They're able to trigger that, to, to get rid of damaged cells and intracellular components, and then uh, activate stem cells or activate also uh, gene expression in a way that when you refeed, and only when you refeed, uh, you rebuild everything, uh, and, um, and so in multiple sclerosis, uh, we've shown in the mouse model, but also early uh, pilot evidence in humans that um, you destroy uh, autoimmune cells and uh, activate stem cells and then uh, replace uh, autoimmune cells with uh, uh, normal white blood cells and also activate the oligodendrocytes to replace the myelin that was uh, damaged by the um, uh, by the autoimmunity, and uh, and so you can imagine how this is uh, an evolved process that was always in there. Let's say that you know in the old days maybe you wouldn't get autoimmunities necessarily, but you might get uh, wounded, right? And you may get spinal cord injury by a wound, and now the body will have to fix it. And so um, and so maybe the the starvation moment when when you had the wound and then you start starving was the moment where. Uh, the the spine the the spinal cord was fixed and uh, maybe we're just tapping into something that has always been around you yeah.
0: and do you think that that what the fasting is doing is it's stressing the body and what we're seeing is a little bit of stress is a good thing and it makes the body turn on its repair systems
2: uh, no I don't think so uh, I, mean, I always say this is hormesis hypothesis. Uh, I think it's just an evolved process. I think it's just uh using the moment to uh turn on programs that get the job done I right? so so um it makes sense like sleep right uh you, you, we don 't just i mean it's it would be very unlikely that we sleep just by mistake right. Um, so why are we forced to sleep all the time? And 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 uh um probably because sleeping represents a uh, a period of resting and repairing etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So fasting uh is probably uh, the same. So you you uh, divert energy from digestion into and worrying about maybe also infectious diseases coming from the food, you know, which is a tremendous source of course of infectious disease, especially 50,000 years ago, right? You can imagine how much energy the body will have to devote to new food coming in. So now nothing is coming in, and you can divert that energy to to repair, regeneration, protection, repair, and regeneration. Uh, So I think it's a very precise and very smart program that is the result of, of billions of years of evolution, and this is why you see it in bacteria, you see it in yeast, you see it in worms, You see it in mice, and, and of course, you see it in humans.
0: So I like your analogy with sleep because that suggests that over evolutionary time, all of these organisms, including ourselves, have experienced fasting as a normal part of our lives and come to rely on it as almost a signal to start these repair processes.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, I mean, of course, we know that bacteria and yeast, et cetera, and worms, they spend most of their time starving and just a little bit of time feeding. And, uh, but even humans, uh, I was always surprised when I read these books uh, and, uh, about Italy and, and the Renaissance period and, and, and throughout the, the history of Italy, how many starvation periods there were where people were really, I mean, even this professor in, I think, uh, Bologna talks about cannibalism in Italy uh, as a result of, uh, it wasn't very common, but it was there as a result of starving. And uh, so it was very, very common, even in recent times.
0: Right. So clearly people now aren't going to want to starve, but they can maybe fast, as you suggest in your book. So tell us what kind of fasting regimes you suggest.
2: Yes, the, uh, the, the fasting regime, I mean, fa- water-only fasting should only be done in clinics that are specialized clinics, and, and, uh, um, and they, uh, they have doctors there, and that's the only way to do it. And why? Because fasting really revolutionizes your entire metabolism. So, for example, the brain, after four or five days on, on, on fasting, uh, switches, in, about 50% of the energy comes from ketone bodies. So it really revolutionizes brain metabolism. Just to give you an example, Uh, But this happens everywhere in the body, right? So it shouldn't be done uh, at home. Um, Now we came up with what we call a fasting-mimicking diet to solve this problem. We felt that fasting was so important. And uh, uh, how do we bring it to people in a safe and effective way? And the fasting-mimicking diet, which is about 1,100 calories on day one and then 750 calories on day two, three, four, five, uh, seems to be the best way to go. And and every ingredient is being selected. So it's a low protein, low sugar, high good fat uh, uh, diet. But, you know, there are many, many components in this diet. Uh, and um, each one was selected based on uh, on this Nutri-Technology idea. So the understanding how each amino acid is connected with, uh, let's say, TOR signaling or IGF-1 signaling, our sugars and different carbohydrates are connected to PKA signaling, et cetera. So you use all this knowledge to then fool the system and and maximize the protective and regenerative effects uh, of fasting without uh, and eliminate or certainly reduce to a very minimum the the danger of uh, water-only fasting.
0: Yeah, so you go into great detail in the book, which I won't try to bring out here. I will link to your book on our website. Um, But what do you suggest for someone like me? I I read the book and I thought, oh, this sounds great. And I tried the fasting mimicking diet and I got through two days. And on the third day, I was getting terrible headaches and really low blood sugar. And so do you suggest phasing it in for someone like me?
2: Yeah, but did you do it with the Prolon FMD or you did it your own?
0: Oh, I did. I pretty much followed what you had in the book.
2: Yeah, yeah. So this is what I, I, I did. The mistake I made in the Italian version of the book, which is was to say, well, you could do it this way. We could do it with the ProLong uh, kit. Uh, and by the way, I have no financial uh, gain from it. So everything goes uh, to charity. So um, I didn't do it to 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 have uh, I'm not doing this to make money out of it. But but I think I did it to uh, make it safe for people. And the kit, I think, is really important. Uh, to do it now, when you start improvising, maybe you can do it, uh, but it's very, very difficult to get all the things that are in the diet, and a lot of them are to prevent your headache, to prevent your your hyperglycemia. Two of the things you just described are very common when you do water only fasting. Now we also see it in the clinical trial. We also saw some of it, but much, much uh, less. Because of all the tricks we have, for example, the level of salts that we have in the diet, you know. And, but there's you know 66 components in the diet, and each one is really there to make sure that you get to the end of it in a safe way. Now you did your own, and and it's okay. I mean, we're not going to shoot anybody that does that, but <laughs> certainly uh, we don't recommend it. And in the American version, I mean, so in the Italian version, I did that, and then I started getting the calls from doctors, clinics even lawyers, and they were very upset because people started improvising at home and and experiencing more extreme versions of of what you just described. Uh, So that's when in the U.S. version I said, you know, of course, I'm not going to hide what it is. I have it in there, but I strongly discourage you. So I didn't want people to think that, oh, I'm I'm hiding the secret so we can sell products. It's there. If that's what you want to do, nobody's blocking you from doing it, but I discourage you from doing it. Uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a good investment to uh, I think the kid now is something like 220 dollars. it's probably done uh, four times a year on average. And, and Americans, a uh, middle-class American, will spend about 190 dollars a week in drinks and food. So basically, if you do this fasting-making diet, you're not spending a dime on on anything else. So in the end, it doesn't cost you very much at all. So yeah, again, I I encourage you to do it. And uh, this also helps the, the Create Cures Foundation that I started. Uh, that will continue to do research in this area.
0: Right, and what a great way to raise money for your research. So I will link to your website as well so people can investigate that kit if they so desire, and I want to thank you for a fascinating interview. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but um, I am sure people can follow up by checking on your website. Thank you so much Walter Longo, and good luck with your book and your research.
2: Thank you very much.
0: That was Dr. Walter Longo of the University of Southern California talking about his new book, The Longevity Diet. It's a practical guide to eating to control your metabolism for a longer, healthier life.
1: That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Susan Moran.
0: This week's show was produced by me, Beth Bennett, and engineered by Joel Parker, who also wrote a headline.
1: Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Bill Brunzi.
0: Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.
1: Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Joel Parker.
0: And I'm Beth Bennett.